like the world is spinning out of control? Is your world ever falling apart? Are you ever falling apart? If you believe you have a creator, in those moments when you feel like you are falling apart, you can go to your creator and say, God, you have the power and the wisdom to hold things together. And yet, if you reject God as a creator, what do you have in those moments when things are falling apart? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. The world can feel as if it's spinning out of control with what's happening in the world around us or in our own day-to-day lives. You might ask, how does a biblical worldview of creation help me make sense of the trouble in the world? and in my own life? Well, let's listen as Pastor Trent takes us to the first pages of Scripture for the answer as we continue in the Be Bold series with part one of the message, Be Bold About the Origins of Man. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me ask you to open your Bibles to the beginning. Book one, chapter one, verse one, page one of your Bible. That'll be the easiest verse you will ever find. in your Bible. We're going to deal with some foundational truths here. We're going to talk about the answer to the question, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? There are two foundational questions that every person must ask and supply an answer for. It's simply this. Did God create man? Or the only other option is, Did man create God? Was man made in the image of God, like Genesis says, or was God made in the imagination of men, like evolution says? Please understand, you're either going to build your life on the foundation of creation, what we're going to read here in Genesis this morning, or you're going to choose to build it on a alternative foundation, man's best attempt to explain his origin without God is what we all learned in eighth grade science class, evolution. If you choose to believe Genesis 1-1, then you understand that the creator has actually given man some laws to live by. The creator has some expectations for you. There are some things that he wants you to do and to not do. And yet if you reject creation, then you reject that there is a lawgiver Who's to say what law should be instituted? You can be a law unto yourself. You can be your own lawgiver if you reject God as your creator. We understand that as created beings, God has created not only us individually, but God has created something called marriage for one man and one woman to come together in a one lifetime, one flesh relationship. And yet if you reject God as a creator, who's to say that one man and one woman should be together for one lifetime? Why can't there be one man and one man, or one woman and one woman, or one man and three women, or who's to say you even have to define it? Maybe you could just have all the sex outside of marriage that you want. And so there's all kinds of variation. You end up with unbridled sexuality. But if you believe that God has spoken into creation, you believe that God has some boundaries that he's placed to protect the things that he's created, namely marriage. And so we read in Genesis, we're going to read it here in just a few minutes, that God actually created clothing. Did you know that? 
And then we understand that if God is the life giver in creation, then every life has purpose. Every life has meaning. Every life has significance. But if you reject God as a creator, then does life really have purpose? Why do teenagers commit suicide? Why do we throw away human life or sell it for parts? And what you have to understand about all these issues, these are cultural, social issues that Christians care a lot about. As a matter of fact, we protest and picket and try to elect officials that maybe make laws to prevent some of this. But oftentimes we spend so much time focused on the surface issues, not realizing that it all goes back to foundational questions about where did I come from? Is there a creator that has given boundaries or are we all just kind of a product of random chance over millions of years? Well, here's what we're going to study this morning. First of all, God created everything out of nothing. We just read it here in Genesis 1.1. God created everything out of nothing. Theologians use a Latin term to describe God's creation. It was created ex nihilo. What does that mean? Latin term for out of nothing. Do you know what that means? We believe that before creation, nothing existed except God. And yet we believe that God has existed from all eternity past. God never had a beginning and God will never have an ending. That means that God is the great self-existent one. That's the definition of God. The great self-existent one. God simply is. God simply has been. And God simply always will be. That means that God is not dependent upon anyone or anything. If somehow you have in your mind that God created you because he was lonely and needed some companionship or that God needed some help, you have a very small understanding of God. God is not dependent upon anyone or anything. We read about this over in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Paul is preaching to a bunch of godless people and he wants to introduce them to God. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though somehow he needed anything from you. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man. Anybody know his name? Anybody know? Anybody know? What was his name? Adam. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way to find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. You know what he's saying? This great self-existent God that created everything is knowable. You can find him. He's available. For in him we live and move and have our isness. 
our being. And do you understand, not only is God not dependent upon anyone or anything, but that means that as a created being by God, you and I and every other molecule in the universe is completely and entirely dependent upon God for his or her or its existence. You understand the dependence we have on God, not just our origination, but our continuation is dependent upon God. In Colossians chapter 1, New Testament again, commentary on the Old Testament, it says this, for by him, and by the way, the antecedent of the pronoun him in this context is actually Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, played a role in creation? It says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, all things were created through him and for him. Lest you think that somehow creation is about you, um, you were created for him. God does not exist for you. You exist for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you understand that the only thing necessary for you to stop being is for God to stop holding you together? Instead of you having isness, you would just be wasness. <laughs> and this is a great practical application for us. Does it ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Is your world ever falling apart? Are you ever falling apart? If you believe you have a creator, in those moments when you feel like you are falling apart, you can go to your creator and say, God, you have the power and the wisdom to hold things together. And yet, if you reject God as a creator, what do you have in those moments when things are falling apart? We believe that God created everything. Here's the second thing we believe. Everything God created was good. In the rest of Genesis chapter 1, we read a literal, historical, play-by-play -play account of what happened in the first week of human history. In verse 3, we read about day one. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? Good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Day two begins in verse six. Day three begins in verse nine. Look at verse 10. And God called the day land, and God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together, and he called seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. Look down in verse 12. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Day four begins in verse 14, but then look at verse 18. He made uh, the light to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was was good. Day five begins um, in verse, I, I forgot to write down where uh, day five begins. What verse is it? 
verse 20. Day six begins in verse 24. And then in verse 25, it says, And God made the beast of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Are you picking up a theme? Do you understand what we believe? God only makes things that are good. So here's our dilemma. Do you have anything in your life that you would not put in the good bucket? Anybody going through something right now that you would say, you know what, that's bad. This is really bad. Any relational conflict, any marital problems, any disease, sickness, um, any you know, tragedy that you're going through, any hurt, any emotional pain, sadness. He's like, this is not good. Here, here's the reality. If you have any of that junk going on in your life, do you realize you can't blame God for that? That didn't come from God because God only creates what is good. Don't ball your fist up in the face of God when you are sad or you lose a loved one or there's a tragic event and blame God. You say, well, who's to blame? That's what we're going to see as creationists here in just a moment. And to understand this, that in the creation and in the declaration that what God created was good, we have an understanding of a moral God who assigns good and evil. Man is not the determiner. Man is not the one who decides what is good and what is bad. That is left to the determination of God. And understand this, on the day that you stand before this good God, you and I will be judged on whether or not we were good. That's a sobering reality for those of us that understand we were created by God. And to understand this, in Isaiah chapter 5, God warns us that we need to agree with him about what is good. He says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isn't that exactly what we see in this world that's so twisted and upside down in its perspective? To look at some of the things on the left, but you're right, and say that our culture has accepted those things as something good, while God says that those are not good things. And yet, we understand that it is God that determines good and evil. And to understand this too, do you understand that the world God created us to live in, you and I, have never experienced. We have never experienced the world that God designed us to live in. We live in a world that's filled with things that are not good, and yet that's not the world God created. And yet there is a longing in our soul to live in that kind of world. If you have ever been dissatisfied with this world, if you have ever had a longing to live in a better world, do you understand that is an evidence of creation? That is something stamped into your soul to experience this world that we have never yet lived in. Everything God created was good. Here's the third thing. The pinnacle of God's creation was a good man named Adam. Look at it here in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, the first thing that's interesting about verse 26 
is there are plural pronouns here referring to God. So how many gods are there? Everybody hold up the number of fingers for how many gods there are. So why is he using a plural pronoun? Because we understand even from the first page of the Bible that God is one who exists in three persons. We call it the doctrine of the Trinity. So in verse 26, God is having a conversation with himself. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What's that all about? Um, When I was a kid, I used to love to play with Play-Doh. How many of you still love to play with Play-Doh? It's like a stress reliever, you know, just, like just, and, and you know what? If you love to play f- with Play-Doh, that's an evidence of, for creation. You love to create things. If you have any creativity at all, that is an evidence that you are the product. You are doing something in the likeness of the creator creating things. I say that to say, after you've made the little Play-Doh man and spun his little head around and put his arms together and step away from your creation, do you know? We can always tell who made the Play-Doh man. Why? Because your fingerprints are all over it. The same is true for you. You are stamped with the fingerprints of God. The likeness of God is in you. The fact that you are an intelligent being. The fact that you are an emotive being. You experience pain and sorrow and joy. And the fact that you are a moral being. You look at something and say, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. Do you understand that's all evidence that the image of God has been stamped into your soul? But here's another thing. Because every human created by God is stamped with his image, do you understand that every human being has dignity value, and purpose. That's why we understand life is a gift. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. And it's a gift that is to be protected. That's why we stand to protect the life of unborn children. That's why we try to help teenagers understand when you think you have no purpose and when you think you don't know who you are, your life has dignity and worth and value. That's why we are opposed to physician-assisted suicide. That it is God that gives life and, and man has no right to take it. That's why we punish those who take life. That's why we believe in complementary roles within marriage. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Then notice, male and female. He created them. Gender is a creation of God. And God is the one who assigns gender. Men are good, women are good, but look at what happens when God puts one man and one woman together. Look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, what does it say? It was very good. So men are good, women are good, but men and women together in a covenant relationship for a lifetime, it is very good. 
It's very good for you. It's very good for your children to grow up with their biological parents who love each other and are in a trusting, secure, intimate, permanent, durable relationship. That's good for societies. And you know what? When we stop believing that what God created in marriage is very good, the foundations crumble and we see society lawless, boundless, and all kinds of issues when we reject what God has said about himself as creator. And so because we are creationists, we believe that we should protect what God has created and that we practice sexual faithfulness. This is the reason we have a heart for orphans and refugees because we believe that the image of God is stamped on those people. That's the reason that we value adoption. That's the reason that we reject racism. Why? Because we believe we're all descendants from one man named Adam. Do you know that evolution actually lays a foundation for racism? Charles Darwin, the one who presented this theory Back in his book, in The Origin of Species in 1859, and then followed that up with a book called The Descent of Man, Charles Darwin said that he believed that we had evolved from apes and that because we had evolved from apes, we're still evolving, and, and various races have evolved more than other races. And Darwin classified, conveniently, his own race, the white race, had evolved the most. And so he believed that lower organisms, such as pygmies, and he called different types of people groups, savages, low and degraded. Why? Because they weren't like him. We reject that because we believe that God has stamped upon every type of person, no matter what color no matter where they come from, ultimately, they all come from one man that God created a good man named Adam. Because we believe that every life has dignity and value and worth, we even show respect to people who completely disagree with us theologically about what we believe, even about things as controversial as creation and evolution people that disagree with us and even caught and trapped in all kinds of things that we would consider sinful, we believe even those people are created in God's image and have dignity and value and worth and we show respect to even those people. But do you know that evolution provides no foundation for compassion for those who are weak, disadvantaged, or disabled? Evolution is built upon the theory of natural selection. Do you remember this? Or the survival of the fittest? Do you remember this? What is the survival of the fittest? It's simply this. The strong eat the weak. So if you have in your heart any compassion or have ever tried to help someone who is weaker than you, smaller than you, or more disadvantaged than you, if you have a heart for disabled people, do you realize you're actually a hypocrite if you believe in evolution? Because what you're doing is you are actually practicing something that is put into you by God to help, to serve, and to protect those that are smaller and weaker than you. Show me in evolution where that comes from. That's completely contrary to what evolution teaches. If you're an evolving creature, you're just simply 
the best and the brightest and you step on and crush and smash anybody that gets in your way. That's who you are as an evolved being. We reject that because we believe the pinnacle of God's creation was a good man named Adam. Fourthly, biblical authority is under attack by evolutionary theories. So we move along through these chapters of Genesis, and we get to chapter 2, verse 15, and we read this. The Lord God took a man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you shall surely... uh, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So let's find out whether or not they took him seriously, and let's find out whether or not they had a commitment to God's authority or not. We skip over to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say? Notice he doesn't come right out and say, God didn't say that. God, God, God wouldn't tell you. God doesn't even speak. God, God, he's so far away. He's not even paying attention right now. No, what did he do? He just came and cast a little doubt, just wanted some clarification. Are you sure you heard God right? Are, 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 are you sure God wasn't just being figurative? He, he didn't say he didn't say it. He just cast doubt on God's word. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Um, did God say they couldn't touch it? No, right here, On the second page of the Bible, we see the two great errors in theology. One, liberalism to say less than God has said. Number two, legalism to say more than God has said. God God didn't say they couldn't touch it. They could climb the tree. They could sleep in the tree. They just couldn't eat of the fruit of the tree. So don't say less than God has said. Don't say more than God has said. And Eve makes both errors in her judgment. And so, you know what happened. It says here in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And so the serpent challenges the authority of God, what God has said. And do you know, that's exactly what man has been doing ever since. To make sense of the chaos in the world today, we must begin with an understanding that although God created a perfect world and called it good, Adam's sin set it on a path to destruction. And since Adam's sin, man has questioned the authority of God in every aspect of life, including what God has said about creation. Well, thanks for joining us for today's program. We'd love to invite you to one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of University Park Mall and Cleveland Road. 
Today, Pastor Trent gave us internal evidences of a created world from Scripture. I hope you'll join us next week as Pastor Trent gives external evidences of creation, things that we can see in the world around us that clearly expose the problems with an evolutionary view. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us on the web at harvestgranger.org.